Hello and welcome to The Emily Cooper Show. My name is Emily Cooper, obviously, and I am a certified life coach and NLP practitioner. I am passionate about taking women from being stuck in their lives to being free and magnetic as fuck. On this podcast, I'm going to be giving you some no bullshit life advice by talking all things feminine flow, conscious relationships, mindset work, embodiment, abundance, and so much more. If you're interested in working with me, head over to my Instagram at Emily Viner Cooper, where I post loads more free content and I love interacting with my community. Without further ado, let's get on to today's episode. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast. First things first, I want to address my voice. (laughs) Um, I seem to have had some sort of an allergic reaction, I believe, to grass, of all things, but... I was at this market last night, we were sitting on the lawns and I noticed this like kind of red rash um, on my arm and then slowly like hour by hour I got like super congested, I got a headache and a sore throat and here we are a whole like 16 hours later (laughs) still super congested. So Ideally, I would not be recording this podcast today, but um, it is a long weekend. Today is Friday, and it's a long weekend in South Africa, so we are going away tomorrow. We're leaving at like quarter to five in the morning, Um, and then I'll only get back late on Monday, and the podcast is released on Tuesday. So today is the only real day that I can record this unless I want to stress myself out on Monday afternoon which I don't really want to do (laughs) and yeah so forgive my voice if it is too irritating then you know I'm not going to be offended if you decide to listen no further but I'm excited to speak about this topic today it is something that's been quite relevant uh, in my life over the last couple months and something that I've been really exploring within myself um As you would have seen, the title is Perceived Trauma is Still Trauma. Trauma is something that I speak about a lot on my social media, on my Instagram, in my posts. And firstly, I want to define what trauma is to me, what it means to me when I use that word, what I'm referring to, because I think it can be a little bit confusing if you have just stumbled on my page. If you're not following me on Instagram, it's at Emily Viner Cooper, Viner spelt V-I-N-A. And yeah, I wouldn't want anybody getting the wrong perception of what I'm saying, because ultimately it would be to your detriment. (laughs) Uh, Because I think a lot of people, myself included, up until about the age of 21, believe that they don't have trauma or their childhoods were not in any way traumatic and we're gonna debunk some of that right now. So firstly I'm gonna go into my definition of trauma um, and then I'm going to segue into uh, speaking about how perceived trauma is still trauma. I will be relating it to my life just to give examples um, but it's will relate to any sort of situation um, 
that you experienced as well. So firstly, when I speak about trauma, what am I referring to? Now, there are two types of trauma. There's big T trauma and small T trauma or little T trauma. Big T trauma is the event or are the events that come to mind when you hear the word trauma, okay? It's your deaths, your diseases, your um, assaults or physical wounding, accidents, anything really deeply crime, you know, deeply traumatic. Um, and those big events that like people are shocked by and that are deeply sad, okay? Obviously, those leave an imprint in our subconscious and in our bodies. We often store trauma in our body. Not often. We do store trauma in our bodies. Um, females, especially in our wombs. And those are the traumatic events that really sort of stand out in the recounting of one's life. Okay. Um, obviously, as I said, they have an imprint. They have an effect. But then you have the small T traumas. And the small T traumas are all the things that happened in our lives, but especially in childhood, and especially from the age of zero to seven. Um, but really up until it can last up until like 14, um, where things happened and our childhood brains made a story out of that that is then now looping that story that belief is looping in our subconscious mind and is playing out in our adult lives whether we know it or not so capital t traumas whilst they are kind of more traumatic they are often remembered they are known about obviously some uh, children experience trauma and their brains suppress it um, but in general you know that at age 12 you were in a really bad car accident or whatever small t traumas are often completely unacknowledged or the repercussions the effects and the magnitude of a small t trauma goes unacknowledged which means they are almost more malignant because they allow ooh, they allow us to continue living in these trauma cycles and these conditioned responses throughout our adult lives. We are then unfulfilled, unhappy. We keep repeating these cycles that we do not like and we can't understand why. It is because your brain is uh, playing the same loop that it played from the moment that your childhood brain decided to adopt a specific belief. Okay, so small t traumas, I'm going to quickly just relate it to my own life, um, abandonment wounding, okay? I had abandonment wounding for a very, 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 very long time. Well, firstly, before I get there, one thing that you should know about the childhood brain is that it is completely egoic. Okay, the childhood brain, think about this on a primal level. As babies, we are completely unable to take care of ourselves. If you give birth to a baby and then, I mean, this is a terrible image, but then leave it in a field, it's not going to be able to feed itself. It's not going to be able to clothe itself. It cannot move. 
it is completely defenseless, okay? So what happens in our brain is that we perceive as a baby, as a child, we perceive of the whole world being spun around us and our needs. So when we cry, we know that we then get food or attention or whatever. Um, We cannot perceive of context as children. It's impossible because we are egoic. Everything is about us. Every reaction has something to do with us or is because of us. Um, There's no such thing as context. We do not understand that our parents are human beings, that they are flawed, that they also make mistakes, um, that things that other people do sometimes have nothing to do with us or our worth. Everything is about us, okay? So once again, going back to the abandonment wounding that I programmed or I was programmed with as a child, um, my dad left when I was six, and I'm going to use specific wording here, but I will cycle back to it in the latter part of this episode. My dad left when I was six, and I watched him pack up his stuff and leave the house. And the story that my childhood brain decided to run with is, I am not worthy of my dad's love, he has left me. And from that point onwards, my dad and I had a very rocky relationship when I was a child and like late into my teens. Um, I felt repeated abandonment by my dad when he got remarried when he had another child with my stepmother, uh, when he moved houses to a house that was quite far away from me or from my family home, I felt abandonment time after time after time because I had this belief that I am not worthy of dad's love. Um, He abandoned me and then I perceived every single action of his from that point onwards as a justification of, you see, I am unworthy. He is abandoning me. Abandoning me. He's doing it again. He's doing it again. That's called confirmation bias, by the way. <laughs> but again, a whole different topic. So that moment of my dad leaving was not necessarily a capital T trauma. I was not injured. I was not hurt. Um, nobody died. I didn't lose my house from you know financial hardship. I still was able to go to school. My dad still financially supported us entirely, paid all of our school fees, clothed us, um, paid my mom the correct maintenance amount, you know. I did not suffer great hardship in the material world, but my childhood egoic brain created this belief and from that point onwards, I suffered I suffered this absolute raw pain of my father, my caregiver, my hero doesn't love me or at least doesn't love me enough to stay. And what then happened is that going into my adult life, I started to date men, but I still had this subconscious belief that all men leave. I am not worthy of dad's love, therefore I'm not worthy of any man's love. 
if my dad could leave me, then every other man is going to leave me. And so what happened, I started attracting men that proved me right. And they did leave time after time after time again. And there's many reasons for this. Um, Your subconscious uh, beliefs are going to play out in your relationships. I've said this so many times before, but your romantic relationships are a direct mirror of what's going on internally. Um, Because there's a part of you that needs to heal. And so when you see that reflected in others, you need to take a step and you need to say, oh, okay, hold on. If I keep, keep being abandoned, what about what do I believe about men? What do I believe is going to happen here? How have I been programmed? How am I abandoning myself? And that was another key thing is that I had such low self-worth because I believed that my dad had left and uh, you know, I wasn't worthy of his love, therefore I was not worthy. I had such low self-worth. I've said this before as well. You cannot attract a partner with high self-worth if you have low self-worth. It's If you want to be spiritual and talk like woo-woo, your frequencies just do not align. It is impossible. So if I am a low self-worth individual seeking a partner, I am only going to attract in a low self-worth individual or a individual who's going to reflect the fact that I am low self-worth he's going to treat me badly to um justify to prove me right to prove my brain right obviously he's not doing this consciously but that's how this dynamic works we're all mirrors of each other so when I say that small t traumas are more malignant it's because I if you'd asked me at 21 Oh, Emily, how was your childhood? I would have said, I had the perfect childhood. Yes, my parents did get divorced when I was six, but it was such an amicable divorce and they remained really close friends and my dad still supported us financially. He didn't like, you know, duck out of childcare. Um, and, you know, I kept my family home and I went to a good, well, went to good schools, and it was perfect, it was, like, I loved it, (laughs) and it was not until the point that I was getting into these really toxic scenarios with men, where I was, I'm not even going to call them relationships, they were literally situationships, where they were hot and cold, one day they loved me, one day they didn't, um, One day they wanted me, one day they didn't, and eventually all of them left me or abandoned me. And it was, I've mentioned this in my first ever episode, but it was that point where I looked at these relationships and I was like, okay, why does the cycle keep happening? And I was able to go back to my childhood And I realized that I had the belief, the subconscious looping belief that all men leave me, that I am not worthy of stable love that stays. So obviously, obviously I was going to attract in relationships that um, proved my belief right. And that is a small T trauma 
that is then affecting my adult life in a really, really big way. But often we do not think to look at what the subconscious loop is that is going on behind the scenes. We do not think to look at how our parents handled the same situation when we were children or what happened to us as children that could now be playing out as adults. We don't think to look there because we blanket our childhood with like, oh no, I had a fine childhood. I was, I had a roof over my head, I was fed, um, I went to a good school, so like there's nothing to complain about. Because we didn't experience capital T traumas, we think that we got out of childhood unscathed. And there is not a single person that got out of childhood unscathed, I can promise you. And so what happened in your 14 years of life that is now being reflected in your adult life, and I'm not just talking relationships, career, boundaries, money, oh my goodness, money. This is why we have wealth cycles and poverty cycles, because we see the way that our parents not only dealt with money, but their beliefs around money, and those are picked up by us, even if we do not know it. And we continue the same cycle time after time after time again. It requires us to think differently and to unblock those deeper subconscious layers and programs for us to then step out of the wealth cycle that we were born into. And that is a trauma. If you don't want to use the word trauma, you can use the word conditioning. As a child, how were you conditioned to believe certain things? Are those beliefs even yours to begin with? I'll give you another example from my childhood. Um, my father worked in, st- and still does work in IT. And he used to pass these comments that were so sort of benign, so, quote, like, harmless about how you know, if you want money, you've got to work really hard, and um, I just go to work to pay the bills, and I hate my day from nine till five, but then after five, I actually live my life, and work is really boring and unfulfilling, um, but it's just what you've got to do, like, that's just life, that's just how it is, and so I grew up thinking Well, firstly, there are two beliefs that are created out of that. The first belief is money requires you to work really, really, really hard and to like break your back. And the second belief is that work is unfulfilling and any form of work is going to be unfulfilling. And it's no coincidence that I then went on to get a law degree and ultimately landed in a job where I was unfulfilled and working really 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 hard and because I was working for government was earning like half of what my peers in corporate were earning less than half actually you know and that is there's no coincidence in that it's because I was running with this belief of work is unfulfilling and you've got to work flipping hard to get like a meager amount of money and that is exactly what happened I was proved right And it took me 
lots of unblocking to adopt my own belief of actually work can be fulfilling and you do not have to slave away from 9 till 5 or 7 till 10 to earn money and you can actually earn a lot of money. You don't need to break your back to earn a meager amount of money. And so I really call on you to question the beliefs you hold, the patterns that you uh, cycle through, the places where you are not happy in your life, and question what beliefs was I imprinted with. Go back to your childhood and look at your childhood through the eyes of you as a child, not you as a rational adult, but you as a child. When mom said or did this, what did I experience? What was the belief that I created? And if you are still struggling with that, then this is my job. This is my whole job is to not only find the root of the problem the, or the core belief, but to actually change that core belief, to free you from the trappings of that automated cycle. And it's simple, simple neuroscience. The brain cannot possibly process every bit of data that is coming at it at every single second of the day. And so it compartmentalizes, it generalizes. If you see a red pen and a blue pen, your brain goes pen. Both of them are pens. Why? Because it doesn't want to take up the space to put each of those pens as separate bits of data. It generalizes them both as pens, which is really cool a really cool and a function of our brain that we need otherwise we would just not be able to function but when it's dangerous is when you have a belief around money or men growing up and from that point onwards every single interaction with money or interaction with a man your brain generalizes it into the same belief and spits out the same action or same response that is all it's doing. But another thing about the brain is that it will always choose the option of least resistance. So at the moment, whatever program you are on is the option of least resistance because to create a new neural pathway is very challenging. It, it uh, takes a lot of effort. But if you were to provide it with a new neural pathway that does not create pain or poverty or stress or disease, it's going to take that pathway. It's going to take that new behavior. And all it requires is for you to create that option for it, but not consciously on a very subconscious level, which is why I chose neuro-linguistic programming. Because I can create those new neural pathways for you. I can guide you in creating your own neural pathway, new neural pathways. 
So if you are struggling with this, if there's an area of your life that you're frustrated by, if there's something that you do want to change or let go of to move forward, please contact me, send me a DM. I have so many different offers available and we can change your life. That I promise you. But the next part that I wanted to talk about is that perceived trauma is still trauma. Now, again, you could say perceived conditioning is still conditioning if you're not happy with the word trauma. What I really mean by trauma is just an event that happened, your childhood brain created a belief, um, it then ran with that belief for the rest of your life. And also the belief, thoughts, remember, beliefs create thoughts, thoughts create emotion. So not only did your brain uh, create a belief of I am unworthy, you then also feel sad and worthless and down in the dumps because your brain then signals your um, body to create that emotion. Um, so it really, it is just a conditioned pattern if you do not like the word trauma. But what I have been really looking at recently is perceived trauma. And this, again, speaks to the fact that you cannot look at your childhood from the lens of your rational adult self. You have to look at your childhood through the eyes of your child, or the child version of you, not your child. Um, let's take my dad as an example. I saw him pack, and I saw him leave, and from that point onwards, I experienced abandonment again and again and again, with him moving far away, with him getting a new wife, with him having a new child, so much abandonment that I carried, and if you haven't experienced abandonment, it is the most painful thing I've ever experienced, because it is grieving somebody that isn't actually dead, they've chosen to leave you. So it creates all sorts of feelings around self-worth and it really is just this <laughs> absolute like heart-wrenching pain and I experienced that all throughout childhood and all throughout my teenage years and even into my early 20s. Um, but it was only much later when I started to really heal the relationship with my dad, not on a superficial level but really having these deep conversations I realized that nothing that I perceived to be true as a child was actually true. For a start, my mom was the person who asked for the divorce. So it was not my dad leaving. It was my dad honoring my mom's request. But that was never told to me. I never knew that. I thought my entire childhood that my dad left. And there's also a lot of context that I'm not going to go into because once again I don't want to slander either of my parents um but there were so there was so much information that I picked up not only from my mom but from my maternal family as well there was so much messaging even if it was really subtle that my dad for example, wasn't paying the correct maintenance amount, that my dad uh, didn't pay maintenance uh, or didn't increase the maintenance as he was supposed to. And that was why we were struggling financially, whereas my dad was living in this really big house 
and buying all of these expensive cars and going overseas every year. Whereas we were really struggling at my mom's house and the messaging was that, oh, well, it's because your dad isn't increasing the maintenance. So then again, not only was I angry, but I was like, okay, well, I'm not even worth my dad flipping paying money for my survival. And it was only when I started having those really vulnerable conversations with my dad that he took out the... Uh, divorce agreement and he was never supposed to increase the maintenance in line with inflation he was supposed to increase the maintenance in line with his salary increase and if you live in South Africa you will know that over the last like 10 years or so or maybe even more our economy has gone through some really really terrible um, moments the recession, we were declared junk status, you know, there were so many different crises uh, where investors, overseas invested, investors pulled out of the country, and so there was a good couple years when my dad's salary was not increasing at all. But that messaging was given to me in an entirely different way, which then just reaffirmed the original belief that I had that I am not worthy and that all men abandon me. And when I found this out, obviously it was really healing for my dad and my relationship because I realized that there was not one single moment that he abandoned me. He was always there. I was just running off of these beliefs. I was being fed a lot of messaging that was highly skewed. And he felt that he could not speak to me. He could not tell me the truth until I was an adult. But there was not one moment where I was truly abandoned. And so whilst that was healing for my dad and, and myself and our, you know, our relationship, and now we have the strongest relationship we've ever had, um, it also made me feel really kind of stupid for believing for like 23 years that I had been abandoned and for feeling so much pain um, over being abandoned and for allowing that belief to then play out in my relationships with men. I felt it was quite an identity, like, fuck up. <laughs> um, and I felt just quite, yeah, just very disillusioned and just shaken. I can't even really describe it, but I mean, I love, personally, I love having my identity challenged because I don't believe that our identity is found in, you know, our careers, our gender, our nationality, our names, uh, our friends, our family. None of that is our identity. Those are all experiences that we have on this earth. But our identity is self, is essence, is divinity. Um, so I love having my perceived identity shaken a little bit because it really does bring me back to like okay cool like actually this this isn't who I am and so often we attach our trauma as part of our identity you know or like yeah um 
I experienced such abandonment wounding and my dad left me and it becomes part of your story. It becomes part of your identity, especially for me then going into this work where I was able to help other people experiencing the same things as I was experiencing. It really did become part of my story. But (laughs) once that was taken away, I was like, oh shit, like have I been preaching the wrong thing all this time? Have I been preaching a lie or not even preaching but telling a lie Um, and that's where I had to really once again go back to the childhood version of myself and see things from her eyes not in retrospect or hindsight or as an adult who's super logical but the childhood version of me and once I did that I realized that nothing changed, that the feelings that I felt back then were the same, the beliefs I had were the same, and what that taught me is that perceived trauma is still trauma, or perceived conditioning, perceived hurt, it's still hurt, it's still relevant, and so even though objectively, factually, in reality, I was never abandoned. I still have or had abandonment wounding because my reality, my subjective reality was that I was abandoned. That was my truth as a child. And so I can go back and be really compassionate to that child. I can give that child what she needed. I can be aware of my patterning because even though I don't hold that belief anymore, it is something that I am aware of, I monitor just to make sure that it it doesn't play out in my relationship dynamics. And I can, yeah, I can, I can hold that child, I can be gentle with her, I can honor her truth and respect. Look at that child with so much respect for what she went through, for what she had to endure for how strong she was, the pain that she carried at such a young age. And as an adult, I can then free myself from that story because I've done the reprogramming and now I can actually even leave it behind as a story that I even had. I can completely let it go. But that's not to say that that child within me didn't experience that. That's not to say that it was a lie to her. And it's really about honoring those needs as a child and those beliefs as a child as, you know, kind of silly and frivolous as they may sound. And a lot of people are quite hesitant to go into those childhood beliefs because sometimes we judge our inner children. We judge them for feeling the way they feel, for acting the way they act, for believing the things that they believe, because we know as adults that logically that didn't happen, or logically it's, quote, silly to react that way. But the fact of the matter is we can judge our inner children as much as we want if we have a subconscious loop playing out. It is going to affect our lives whether we are judging ourselves or accepting of ourselves if that loop is in the back of our head it's going to be affecting us so we may as well go into that 
child look at her, speak to her, interact with her, find out what her experience was so that we can heal her and ultimately free ourselves. Denying her, calling her stupid, um, judging her, none of that is going to free the adult version of us. It's just going to keep us in chains for that much longer. It's just going to keep us playing out those loops for that much longer. And it works for a while where we suppress and we can find a relationship that we're like, oh, okay, this is this is fine and you know we can get married and have kids and do the things. And then one day, and I've seen this so many times, one day when we are in our 50s and our children have finally left the nest, that is when everything comes up. That is when all the shit boils to the surface. And the older we are, the longer those neural programs have been running the harder it is to break out of our patterns or even see our patterns. That's why when a lot of people judge young life coaches, I laugh. This is a tangent, but I've heard so many times, how can you be a life coach and you're so young? Even um, my partner, Matt, his he was on the phone um, to his dad the other day and his dad said you know I'm going to be in this company for a while and then I'm going to do this for a bit and then when I'm older um, I'm going to eventually start life coaching but at the moment I'm too young and Matt's dad is 48 years old or 49 years old and I laughed because Firstly, that's such a limiting belief that you can't do something just because you're young. That's, I can promise you that's not a belief that you were born with. That's a belief that society uh, impressed upon you and you're carrying someone else's bullshit belief. But secondly, the younger you are, the more neuroplasticity you have, the easier you're able to look at a situation from various different angles. And come to a solution. Fix the problem. Once you are much older and you've been looping on those cycles and with those beliefs for so many years, it becomes way harder to take yourself out of that box and to see a situation from different angles. That's why children are often super unfazed. If you prevent them from doing something in one way, they'll find another way. They are very innovative. We can learn a lot from children because they're so wide open. They have not been, I mean, they, they would have been to an extent, but they have not been as programmed as we have been or as we are. In fact, um, during lockdown, um, we snuck my grandparents into the house for a little dinner and um we were sitting outside and we were like looking up at the stars and my sister and I started speaking about whether we in actual fact landed on the moon because obviously there's that conspiracy that we never landed on the moon and that it was staged and we weren't speaking about it uh, seriously. We weren't pushing our 
our opinion that we never landed on the moon. I personally don't have an opinion. I was, we were literally just spitballing with the possibility that we never actually landed on the moon. And it offended my grandparents so much because they watched the moon landing themselves or saw it in the newspaper, whatever. I don't know. Did they even have TVs then? I don't know. But they were living in that time and it was completely impossible for them to even consider the fact that maybe we didn't. And I remember my grandfather directly saying to me, what purpose or what reason would the government and the media have to lie to us? Why would they lie to us? And I looked at him with complete fascination because firstly, he had... um, he was alive during the Second World War. He knows what propaganda um, that is, you know, uh, sent out by the state can do and why they do it. Hitler's Germany was completely run off of propaganda. Today we have Russia, you know. Um, He was alive, okay, he was a child, but he was alive during that time. And it's blatantly obvious why governments would express certain views. He was alive during the Cold War, the race to space, right? Um, And I was just completely flabbergasted that he had this entrenched belief that the media is independent, impartial, that the government only has the best interests of their people in mind, and what reason would they have to lie? And it very almost got into quite a heated um, argument, but it was locked down and I hadn't seen them in ages and my sister and I kind of just backed off. And to this day, we laugh about it. But that is my point. Um, At this stage, this was two years ago. So my grandfather would have been 74, 73, 74. Um, For 73, 74 years, he's believed that the government only has the people's best interests at heart and the media doesn't lie. And so that program has been running for that long. And so it is completely like out of the question that he would be able to distance himself from that belief and to even entertain the idea that it might not be what he believes. Which is why I am such an advocate for young life coaches. You do not have to have experienced life to be a good life coach. You need to know how to ask the right questions to unlock the pathways in the client's brain that need to be unlocked. But that was a whole massive, massive tangent. (laughs) Um, But getting back to trauma, this is why we do the work when we are young. Or at least why this is why I would really advocate and suggest we do the work when we are young. Firstly, so that we can actually live free lives for the rest of our lives and not have to have a complete 
breakdown at 50, but to start living freedom lives right now, attracting partners that we want right now, making the money that we want right now in the way that we want to do it, but also uh, or also because um, our brains are still malleable and it is quite easy to change them if you choose to change them, which is another whole uh, thing. Uh, um, as per the first episode of this podcast, we often really love our victimhood, so it requires a choice to change, but nevertheless, it can be done. Alrighty, if you have gotten this far <laughs> with my voice as it is, then congratulations. Uh, I hope you got a lot of value from this episode. I definitely had fun recording it. It has definitely lifted my mood, that is for sure, because I was feeling a little bit sorry for myself feeling sick, especially with going away tomorrow. Um, I'm going to go to the chemist and get some antihistamines and yeah, hopefully have a good allergy free weekend um but i hope that you have a beautiful rest of the week if this has sparked something inside of you as always leave a review send me a dm if you are ready to fucking break out of those dumb programs that you have running in the back of your subconscious that are not serving you send me a dm do the thing let's chat let's see how i can serve you um just make the move have the conversation. Let's do it. I'm excited to serve you. It is what I was put on this earth to do. Let's do it together. Have a beautiful rest of the week. I'm sending you so much love. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Emily Cooper Show. I cannot tell you how much your support means to me. I put a lot of time and energy into this podcast and I believe that I also provide a lot of free value. So if you feel called, if I have provided you free value, helped you to think in a different way, supported you through your emotions, or just entertained you somehow, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on the podcast. It really helps with engagement. Secondly, if you are feeling called to work with me, if you like the work that I do, the mission that I embody. And if you are feeling called to uplevel your life in any way, then please do not hesitate to reach out and contact me. You can book one hour slots with me or you can invest in an entire program, eight weeks, perfectly tailored to where you're at in life right now and what you want to work on. The choice is yours. But don't hesitate to reach out and I will be so happy to welcome you into one of my containers and into my energy. Have a good rest of your day.